Hello, everybody. You're listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 610, Going for Gold Medal Glory. to the Big Chill Podcast. Frank, joined as always with Eddie. Eddie, how's it going? Yeah, had a good week. Things are going well. Nice. I don't know if you saw, but uh, I, well, I'm sure you have seen because I think the whole world has seen Trump's mugshot. Not so interested in the mugshot, interested in the height and weight he listed, which was yeah. 6'3", 215". Now I need to get the same doctor that measures him because then I'm like six seven, two twenty, jacked. <laughs> but I w- this is the thing that confuses me. So so oh you mean compared with his original listings? There is no way he is six three two fifteen. No, I know, but I would have thought because didn't they take your height and weight when you no, no in your process? No, 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 no. That he you, he had a doctor pre-do it for okay. him, and then they went in and just wrote it down, like based okay. off of what his previous doctor said. Well, here's a solution for you then. As a short king, you should get yourself arrested, get everything pre-filled, <laughs> and list yourself at six foot, and your dreams would come true. Made me made me do some digging to see the same body type, you know that that Trump has. Trey Lance been in the news a lot. Trey Lance is 6'4", 225. So a pretty comparable body type. Mahomes, 6'2", 220. So they are pretty close. Trump just, just edges him in height slightly. Mike, uh, so if we did receiver, Mike Williams, he's 6'4", 220. And Keenan Allen is 6'2", 211. So he's basically a mix between Keenan Allen and Mike Williams on, on the – on the receiver in there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously those, it's not like a like for like a copy and paste or translation, but yeah, I mean, Micah Parsons, six, three, two forty five, significantly heavier. <laughs> See, I do find it interesting. My takeaway is much more his face in the mugshot over anything. Yeah. But that's already overplayed. The fact that anyone wants to say he's 215 pounds is fucking insane. <laughs> he might be 280 at the at the lightest. Maybe, or maybe it's just padding. Maybe he's just trying to fill himself out and be more imposing. Maybe it's just a skinny little guy underneath all of that. I also don't think he's 6'3". Everyone says he's tall, though. I I don't know. It's I. You think he's not the type of guy who's adding at least an inch or two? Well, I do think, and I say this as someone who's six two. The six three is like the to me, it's the start of being a legitimate tall person. Yeah, because like you get a lot of six one, six two people, and six three is where you start to really put yourself into. You're not just by, over six foot anymore. Yeah. And yeah, like, even by sort of, I'm, I'm over six foot. And by kind of even normal tall person, like the average tall person standards, you're starting to become legitimately quite tall. Like there's, you, you are rarely going to meet someone taller than you once you get into six three territory. So I can understand if you're six two, I can understand bumping yourself up to six three. 
He for sure is, at least. I mean, I guess we'll... I mean, that height is easy to figure out, right? Because you could just... I mean, you... That's, no, that's not a but, challenge. But again, I don't put it past him to wear, like... Lifts. Lifts, for <laughs> sure. When he's in public and he knows that. Because that's what I'll give him credit for, for being smart. Is he'll be so aware that someone will go out and say like, oh, look, he's standing next to so-and-so. And we know this person is exactly this height. So blah, blah, blah. You know, like he would be like, he would have no idea going somewhere what he's supposed to say or do. But he would know damn sure like, hey, listen, give me those two inch lifts because I'm going to be standing next to what's his face. And he's six three. So I need to be six three too. <laughs> well, yeah, except you have to do it all the time. Right. And it- I also I do someone to do that. (laughs) (laughs) I do agree with you that I wouldn't put that past him, and that also I could see that he is sort of so narcissistic that he might have been doing that for a long time. Like, but there's also a good chance here that he didn't do that in like the 70s, 80s, and 90s. So we just got to go back in the records. You're saying we got to get his old medical charts. And had a two inch growth spurt when he was 66 years old. I mean, that's, I'm, not, wait, I'm waiting for that. Finally pushed me into the six foot category. Just got to get to my 60s. It was a genetic wonder. But yeah. And anyway, that's as pretty much almost as political as we get, I suppose. Yeah. In a, in a week where I guess, I mean, we were speaking about it pre-podcast where as we spoke about the president of the Spanish Football Association and his controversial kiss now doubling down on that behavior and really very Trumpian in his responses to the increased pressure for, pressure on him to resign. A full investigation has been launched into his conduct. I, I, he seems like a dead man walking. Like I cannot. Oh, not according to him. In his press <laughs> conference, he said very vocally, I will not resign four no, times in a row. But he will to, be fired. <laughs> to cheers from the crowd. <laughs> And that's the, uh, so I can understand, I, I, I can't, I'll, I have to phrase this kind of carefully, I guess. I can, I, when I say understand, I don't mean as in I agree with it, but I can, I can see how someone can not be outraged by this behavior, by his behavior to kind of say, look, it's swept up in the emotion of the moment and we're making too big of a deal out of it, whatever. I disagree, but I can I can see how someone can get to that position. I can't see someone, I can't understand people who are just vehemently the opposite direction. Like, this is where we're going wrong. If if men can't just kiss women whenever they want to, what is the world coming to? That's the position, like cheering in response to him defending himself. That seems way too extreme to me. I, I just can't process that. Yeah. I also loved his play-by-play of the situation which is not at all supported by any type of video evidence (laughs) nor the other person which i'm sure now the unfortunate part is she's probably being backed into a corner to either not say anything about it or just like not go super against him because originally she like her original comment was that she didn't enjoy it and then she she kind of and then she stepped back already a little bit and, yeah. But then she came back again. She has subsequently come out again and said she didn't enjoy it, didn't consent to it. So she's made her feelings on it pretty clear. See, 
But that's what's interesting because in his play-by-play during the press conference, he said, kiss, question, like as a question, and she responded, right. yeah, okay. And then <laughs> he kissed her. <laughs> but also, the thing that that overlooks, in that situation, you would, if someone said kiss, I think you would be imagining like kiss on the cheek or, you know, whatever. I don't think you could possibly have envisaged that he was just going to grab you by the face and, and plant one on your lips. Like, I don't, <laughs> that, that isn't in the moment, even if she did say yes, I very much doubt that's what she was imagining was about to happen. And I mean, her own statements show that is not the case. So it's a strange one. You'd have to say from the Spanish FA, I know that it's always harder to fire people than, you know, there's the sort of public outrage and the calls for instant firings and obviously that can get just get you into lawsuits and things are always a little bit more complicated than that in real life but you would have thought that there could have been a bit more done already like we're approaching a week now you would have thought that this they would have the ball could have really gotten rolling on this one and for him to still be in a position where he can publicly defend himself to that degree seems seems kind of crazy. And you just have to wonder from his perspective, what's the end game? Like, do, do you does he genuinely believe that he's going to be able to keep his position, or does he think that the sort of no publicity is bad publicity, and that someone's going to hire him for another job because they're now going to feel as if that is them? showing some kind of support for anti-woke culture or something i'm sure who knows i don't know what spain's vibe is so can't can't (laughs) fully comment on that (laughs) well if there are any spanish listeners out there which we do have a few uh, when we break down the the data you can let us know you can you know follow the big chill podcast on x formerly twitter or on instagram search for the big chill podcast on either of those and you can let us know and also you know, our, our listener numbers continue to uh, increase pretty nicely. But what does help us, obviously, is if you can tell a friend about the podcast or just leave us a review. So on Spotify, you can give us a review out of five stars. Uh, we don't have very many relative to the number of listeners we have. So we know that there are a lot of people out there too lazy to just click on the stars or on Apple Podcasts and other players. You can you can leave a little written review. Just helps us push us up the rankings and helps us with the algorithm. We don't ask for much, but Frank always gets uncomfortable whenever I go through this process. <laughs> well, I just want naturally Eddie to wake up one day and see 20,000 ratings and beautiful comments from our listeners. I mean, I try and do the organic. math. <laughs> I try and do the math sometimes on podcasts I listen to that I know are you know, exponentially larger than us. And I kind of compare how many ratings do they have? And I mean, it's just true. I never rate. It's going to make me look bad from someone who asked to rate podcasts. I never rate podcasts. So what a shame. I do. And so it's just, you can, I know that there, you know, there's podcasts I listen to that, you know, probably have 20 times as many listeners as we have, but only have 2000 reviews. So, you know, just go out there. Here's my question to you, Eddie. If you had to rate the Bill Simmons podcast, is that getting five stars or one just because of your your arch nemesis factor? Honest review, four stars. In that I would recommend it to someone if you like sports. It's a pretty good podcast, but there can be some frustrating elements. 
but it's a frustrating element. Bill Simmons is <laughs> just Bill Simmons. <laughs> but if you could ignore all of the Bill Simmons and Van Lathan elements, then you oh. could. <laughs> but anyway, oh we, we probably don't need to create more enemies in the podcast community. No, not not the best move. Right. Well, since we last spoke, I guess not a huge amount of activity on the sort of sport front in terms of matches played. See, I think that's where you're wrong right off the bat, Eddie. What, I mean, what do you have? Chelsea. They've won. They've, they've won. Done and, it. They, and they and scored, they scored multiple goals. Three goals. This yeah. is a breakout performance. And kept a clean sheet. Admittedly against Luton, and I think at a certain moment soon, it was a... a a poll that we did start on Twitter tonight, or X, hard to make that switch. You know, how many points are Luton going to get over the course of this season? Oh, I thought it was going to be, will, will Luton be relegated before the season's over? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> will they just tra- halfway through the season? Are they just going to trade with someone? <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah, it's... They have a nice run of fixtures coming up that, they you know... So they've got West Ham next, then Fulham, Wolves, Everton. You know, that's... And they have Spurs, and then they have Forest. So you kind of look at their next six fixtures, and they would hope that if they're going to get points, they have to get them from... By the end of October, they need to be sitting on at least 10, 12 points, I think, if they've got any chance of staying up. Because after that, they get into some nightmare runs. I mean, you look at their November, includes Liverpool, Manchester United... Brentford, and then December as Arsenal, Manchester City, Newcastle, and Chelsea again. I mean, December, they will struggle to get any points. It's going to be a disappointing Christmas in Luton. But, yeah, I think... I mean, the real thing, though, Eddie, is it's just, right now, it's just not fair because, you know, they haven't had a home match yet, and that's their biggest advantage. I don't know if you've seen it, oh, no. but it's don't. quite a unique home grounds. <laughs> Especially the away end. But yeah, no, look, it's, but, and I don't like to, as someone who supports a smaller football club, it's not as if I take great joy in watching another team struggle, because I know if the team I supported happened to get promoted to the Premier League, we'd be going through exactly the same uh, experience as Luton are right now. But, oh, I thought you were talking about Chelsea, (laughs) a team that struggles. (laughs) I mean, they're now, I'm not going to say it's seems silly from having just beaten Luton at home, but four points from their opening three matches, given who they played, actually now doesn't look like a terrible points haul. Because you yeah. probably would... I think you would have looked at these matches and said, Liverpool opening day, Liverpool favorites, West Ham away, tricky match, and then Luton at home. And I think four points from the opening three is probably par based on who they played. Now, factoring in that they drew the opening match, you would have upgraded that those expectations. But it, it's, it's maybe par and both the almost the bare minimum, which sounds a bit weird to say, because I, I think six seems too high to be par. And, you know, so... But, you know, it's, it's not a catastrophic start to the season. I'll tell you what. Part of England is having a phenomenal start to the season that's one player in Jude Bellingham who's now scored in three straight matches and uh, is pretty much carrying Real Madrid at this point already in the season yeah I mean 
he's getting a huge amount of praise for the the sort of way he's just hit the ground running in Spain. And as an England fan, it's incredibly exciting to see someone, you know, I think it's something that's held back the England team basically forever is the lack of, you know, players not going and playing in different styles of play and learning from playing in different countries. It happens a little bit more now, but he is a bit unique in having done it at such an early age and now faces a very, like he might, I think he will eventually play in England again, but it's not an absolute guarantee. If you're already at Real Madrid, there are only a handful of clubs that could even possibly interest you. But, you know, and what's easy to forget when watching him is that he's only 20. I mean, it's really yeah, kind Yeah, that's of, the crazy part. Like, they, he's so young. I mean, and not, and not just, oh, he's 20, but turning 21, you know, on the 3rd of September. He only just turned 20 in June. So, you know, he's got a full season ahead of him as a 20-year-old. And, you know, he'll get to the end of this season having played a key role for Real Madrid. He's fully established in, the, in England's best 11. He'll play in the Euros this summer as arguably maybe even England's most important player by then in terms of just really making things tick. It's exciting. I mean, you've got... 15 more years of this so it's yeah he's he's over 10 percent younger than phil foden (laughs) (laughs) crazy way to think about it but (laughs) yeah but has nowhere near as many trophies not yet (laughs) but he and you know i think i don't really care who wins the ballon d'or nor do i really care if an english player wins it it's not something that i take you know like it's i think the ballon d'or is kind of rightfully been ruined by the Messi Ronaldo dominance. Like it's just sort of one of those, the unfortunate byproduct of how good the two of them were for such an extended period of time is that it feels like the Ballon d'Or is less significant and it will take a few years until when you have maybe four or five players competing for it consistently that that starts to change. But he will be, you know, he's the first England player in a long time who's going to be in with a realistic, I mean, now I, not only realistic shout, I think you'd have to say expectation that at some point in his career he'll win the Ballon d'Or. Yeah, yeah. It's just... I mean, probably not this year because he's going to have to fight potentially for, what, the first MLS player to ever win the Ballon d'Or? Well, Messi <laughs> is going to win it. I mean, that's the that's the reality. So Yeah, but not, I guess, due to a full season here, right? Yeah. No, I mean, the MLS element is going to be misleading, but because it doesn't factor in the last World Cup... Like his World Cup win is going to fall into this Ballon d'Or. So Messi's winning the Ballon d'Or. It's just that, uh, you know, he, so it will be a bit strange. And yes, I've had enough of, again, I've already mentioned it previously on the podcast, the like ESPN obsession with Messi and, and Inter Miami. It just needs, needs to end. Like I don't hey, need. He's been there for a month. They already won a cup. Yeah. And they also need to, these cup names are terrible. Like, why can't they, for example, I, it really bothers me that it's the league's cup and not just the league cup, which is the same format that every European league uses. Why did you have to make it a plural? It really bothers me. Even if it's, it's multiple leagues, but it's multiple leagues in the league cup in England too. It's every division. No, but right? it's most it's most it's multiple countries. I, I don't I 
I don't care. I don't care. It just <laughs> well, it sounds charge of branding. So <laughs> I, I, by the sounds of things, no one is because <laughs> it doesn't sound good. The league's cup. It doesn't sound. Even the cup of leagues sounds like the a couple st- leagues. It's, couple leagues. <laughs> couple leagues. Yeah, is a mild improvement that took me milliseconds, but it's it's just terrible. They just can't get anything quite right. How about That's the my... leagues cups trophy? <laughs> tr- trophies. <laughs> leagues cups trophies. Yeah, because of course there's multiple trophies, right? You don't just hand out one. So there we go. There's my anti-America rant for the day. So. That was the little catch-up on the Premier League, I guess. We made mention of the fact that the Rugby World Cup was coming up. I only just just kind of get in meant little say. We will have a big preview of that uh, in the next week or two. But, uh, well, I guess week, seeing as it starts on the 7th of September or whatever, 9th of September. But, or 8th, <laughs> if I can get the dates correct. But you got it. Yeah, I think so. At least one of those dates is right. Somewhere in there, I've given listeners the correct information. Early September. Yes, Uh, but close to the middle of September. Uh, And then, but uh, in South Africa, kind of dismantled New Zealand today in a a warm-up match, which you can't read too much into. But with New Zealand going into it as favorites certainly with bookmakers less so i think with experts it's a pretty open world world cup and you can make a a strong case for about four teams but that's be concerning for for new zealand to have been beaten in the manner in which they were but looking forward to it got some more warm-up matches over the weekend and and yeah as i as we said last episode building towards an extremely busy period of of sport I, yeah, you know, I feel like the warm-up loss could go one of two ways. Either it's, like you said, not a very good indication of things to come, or you can use that as a huge motivational tool to kind of say, like, you guys need to wake up quick because look what just happened. Yeah, I think the thing is, certainly from a New Zealand perspective, yeah, maybe it's a valuable wake-up call and just reminding they had a very good rugby championship uh, and they kind of looked as if they were getting back into their pomp. And this might be, if you're in the coaching staff or in the kind of a leadership role within this team, you might think that this is a good opportunity just to remind everyone, hey, look, we're not we're not reigning world champions. We're not a great team. This is, we, we have to be very much at it if we're going to win this tournament. That being said, though, for South Africa, no matter how New Zealand respond to it, for South Africa, it's encouraging. They are reigning world champions. It does make it seem as if maybe they will peak at just the right time. They're incredibly physical. They kind of showed all of their best aspects in the match. And also for them, if they have to play New Zealand in the knockout stages, they now get to go into that match with that added confidence of, hey, remember the last time we beat them when we absolutely wiped the floor with them? So not only do we know we can beat them at the moment, we know we can beat them emphatically and even if they were perhaps even to be losing in their mind, they could think, oh, we did score multiple tries and sort of unanswered tries in the last outing against them. So we might even be able to erase a deficit if we were losing to them. So New Zealand might respond to it well, but for the South African camp, it's, you know, has to be a massive, massive positive. Also have the U.S. Open coming up only a 
couple of days away from the U.S. Open starting. I don't know if you want to make your picks quickly. We don't dedicate too much time to tennis. I did really enjoy at the weekend the uh, Alcaraz Djokovic final in Cincinnati, yeah. which was really exciting. Again, I don't know who comes out of that with more confidence. Uh, Alcaraz. I think it's Alcaraz. Yeah, I think it feels as if he's. Is the tide turning, Eddie? I think it is. It, it felt like Djokovic had to pull out pretty much all the stops to get that win. And if you were Alcaraz, A, I think you'd say over five sets, I think I've got him. Because I don't think as impressive as Djokovic, Djokovic's fitness and resilience are, I think to do that in f- over five sets would be tough. And I just also think Alcaraz has that the scariest element he has in his game, which Djokovic made mention of in his post-game comments and which is you know it's certainly not news to anybody but from a tennis player's perspective just his ability to cover the court and make you play that one extra shot really consistently i mean it's frustrating it's puts more pressure on you to really try and find the lines and the corners more consistently there's sort of no easy points really against him and it's incredible to watch like the speed that he covers the court at is just unbelievable and, you know, you, in that final, there were moments when Djokovic won, felt like he won a point about three times and then still ended up eventually losing the point. So I think it could, it feels like the tide's turning. He, it definitely feels like he's getting, I mean, when you hear all of the other players speak about Alcaraz, it also feels like they sense that the tide is turning. You know, Djokovic speaks of him as being one of the toughest opponents he's ever played, which, uh, you know, when you're talking about someone his age is a huge, yeah. compliment. it's a huge compliment. Like that's a crazy he, compliment. He's played some people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. Well, I mean, Alcaraz is defending champion, defending US Open champion. Yes. Yeah. But the last couple of years of the US Open have been weird, right? Yeah. And a year where Djokovic couldn't play. We had the year Djokovic was disqualified. I've always wanted us to do at a certain moment in time, like to go into the weird sports stories that we just do forget slightly. For example, the Djokovic disqualification that one year in the US Open is just one of those sports stories that almost completely goes missing from my mind. I'm sure Netflix will have an untold documentary about it in a few years. (laughs) Probably. Probably. But you know, there's so many times when something really significant happens and and even two or three years later, you, you kind of forget that it, it ever did. But yeah, yeah, I think Alcaraz has to start as the, you know, I mean, it feels like it's between him and Djokovic, but uh, you've got to give Alcaraz the edge, I think at this point. Yeah. Djokovic, three-time champion, 11, 2011, 2015, 2018. So who's your pick? They are almost like joint favorites. So Djokovic is slightly favored, but it's pretty close. I'm going to go Alcaraz. Okay. I wonder, do you know when the final will be? I'm wondering if I'm going to have this weird thing where I'm going to start watching tennis final, Grand Slam finals on airplanes, because it might be right around that window again. (laughs) That is possible. That would be awesome. It's such a great way to waste like a good two hours, because those finals matches are usually really long. You know, it's rare that someone gets a three-set winner. So it's at least going to go four or five sets, I feel like. Yeah. So the, the, the final is Sunday, September 10th. 
So. Nah, just be before I travel. <laughs> Darn. I can record it, avoid it, and then watch it on the plane. Yeah, no one tell me. Yeah, I'll go Alcaraz. I mean, what about a little... Uh, I don't know if you call it a dark horse, but the next favorite at 7-1 to one is uh, Medvedev. So Medvedev worries me. Uh, He's got four hardcourt wins already this year. Yeah, but I watched him in a couple of the warm-up tournaments. He's... Uh, it looks like he's struggling to hit winners. You know, he does have this unorthodox unorthodox technique and it just feels like it's not quite working for him at the moment and he's just struggling to hit by people which on hard courts if you don't have that ability it really makes it tough to win points so i i don't have a ton of confidence in him he's lost some matches in the past month or so to some pretty strange opponents and to i I think he'll come unstuck at some point I wouldn't want, you know, it's definitely a player if you're, you'd want to avoid in the draw for sure, but I just can't see him winning sort of string multiple, you know, wins together without something going wrong. So, yeah, I don't think, he just doesn't feel right for him at the moment. Plus, he's just such a head case. Just have to factor that in <laughs> as well. Then, you know, it worked well for him the year, the one year where he, he could really, was able to, you know, use the crowd's hatred hatred towards him to try and push him on. But I think more often than not, that just won't work. So what else do we have in the world of sport? No big NFL news, I guess. Oh, I guess one big topic. We've made mention of it in the past. The Baltimore Ravens finally lost a preseason game. Yeah, I know. They lost the Washington Commanders. They ended their incredible run of winning games that did not matter. Yeah, first preseason game I bet on them, ever. Is that true? Loss. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I did like. I I do not bet on the preseason games, but I do. I kind of sometimes just look at the odds and the point spread just going into them, just to kind of a. It's a good way of just quickly gauging who's even starting, but also just to see sort of what the early thoughts are on on team matchups not week one because of the preseason because that's just there's no starters involved yeah usually week three is the best week you're going to get most starters because two and three you'll get some and then week four you'll get none but what there's no four anymore but the three right yeah but the ravens just start as kind of quite strong favorites every game just on the back of the fact that clearly harbaugh and the ravens actually care about winning preseason games so you know, which I guess kind of makes it's sense. It's usually, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because you usually only see now in the second week starters and most will play for like a drive or two. Like the Giants looked, you know, when their stars were out there, looked pretty good for that first drive and they took them all out. And you don't normally see them in the third week sometimes because that's more for like people fighting to make the roster. They usually put that out there. But it depends. You're right, though. It does depend on the team. Like, I, like there are some coaches who like to put out their starters in week three to, you know, get them warmed up and then get them injured. So, well, that was the hot take of the week. I think it was uh, Colin Coward who said it, and it's gone semi-viral, and other people have discussed it 
subsequently, but that NFL players care about preseason games more than NBA players care about regular season games. <laughs> That's a pretty good take. Which, yeah, I don't, I'm not a huge Colin Coward fan, but it's one of his better ones. I mean, it's better than saying Dwayne Haskins can't win a Super Bowl, so it's an improvement from him on a couple of weeks compared with a couple of weeks ago. So speaking of NFL, Eddie, there was recently uh, ESPN did a poll about um, gambling, uh, sports betting specifically, and the NFL. Um, I think they they polled like 30 players. Um, but the craziest thing I think of the whole article that ESPN put down is they actually laid out what the legitimate rules are which I don't think fans fully understand that make you realize how dumb these rules are. So basically players who had been getting busted for sports betting, none of them so far besides I think Calvin Ridley were betting on NFL games. There are a lot of them mostly betting on like basketball, but most of them weren't betting even in the facility. They're betting outside of the facility, but the rule is if you're away, like say you're you're playing a game away, you cannot bet from the second you start your travel until you get back. So even though you can be like away at a game, the night before the game, be back in your hotel room watching a basketball game, you cannot bet on that basketball game. That's illegal. And that's where some of the people were getting booked is they were betting – like not in a facility, like when they're practicing for their away game or like, but they're betting like out to dinner with just other players or with their family out to dinner the night before an away game and we're getting busted. I think that's so dumb. What is the difference See, between I'm, that and being at a home, at your hometown the night before a game, being out to dinner with your family and betting on a game? So, hey, I, I doubt they're, I mean, how many of them are out to dinner the day before an away game? But regardless, I actually disagree with you. It makes perfect sense to me that you have this very clear, hey, once you step on the team bus to leave, turn up at the airport, we're in no gambling mode until you get back off that bus. Because otherwise, you're going to have, you're going to get into these massive gray areas discussing it with a player of, hey, well, I was in the hotel. Okay, yeah, but we have team meetings in the hotel before away games. So actually, you're doing a team meeting. Oh, okay, but the team meeting hadn't started yet. So where do we fall here? Oh, the team meeting had finished 20 minutes ago, and I just sat in the room, and I I placed my bets in the room afterwards. And you're going to have to – the breakdown of that is going to become so much more complicated versus just saying, hey, this is is a business trip. You have to abide by business rules while you're on it, and that includes just no gambling. And that to me is – so dumb. To me, it's the reverse. It's so dumb from a player – this might, this might. Well, what's con- the difference, Eddie? What's the difference if you're traveling to New York City, watching a basketball game in a hotel room and betting on it, versus if you're sitting at your house in I don't know, Columbus, Ohio, watching a basketball match and betting on it? What is the difference? Uh, I mean, <laughs> one is. Y- 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 I mean, you're, you're making a, you're making the difference there being, you know, there'd still be a moment, I'm sure, even on for home games where those same policies come into effect, right? So 
the timing of them will be different. But the difference to me is just how you sort of conduct and carry yourself whilst you're sort of officially representing the team during that time period. And you're on a road trip. And for the entirety of that road trip, you are, you know, on a business trip. And it doesn't seem that strange to me to enforce very clear rules throughout that throughout that moment. To me, it's okay, maybe fans don't understand this in terms of how some players have been criticized when it's come out that they've broken some of these rules. But do you know who will have definitely had these rules made clear to them? Is the players. So whilst we as fans may not have totally understood the ways in which they could get into trouble, there's absolutely no way that these players didn't have this drilled into them. And so even if you think that the the sort of the specific clauses within the rules are kind of stupid, how stupid do you have to be to be an NFL player and get told no betting when you're on a road trip and to, and then to still say, oh, come on, I'm in my hotel room and I'm watching this regular season NBA game and I really want to have a bet on it. Like ultimately, I would say if the guy yeah. is the guy is doing that, then you are weeding out the players you shouldn't be trusting in terms of how they might breach other gambling regulations. I mean, I yes, you're right. And in that regard, they more than definitely know the rules. Whether they're actually paying attention at that meeting, who knows? But they have been told, and they they should be aware of the rules. I just think the rules themselves are are not warranted. I think the rule should be don't bet on NFL games because you know the main thing is is like you have some sort of advantage because you have insider information. You know, you're in a you're in a team facility, maybe you have some insider information about a specific NFL game or things like that. But not allowing them to bet on non-NFL things is very strange to me. Like they have no insider knowledge from being in an nfl facility well, what? It's, it's not it's not just insider knowledge right it's the possibility that you might impact the outcome of a game because of a bet that you've placed i mean you're being generous to them to think that their bets on nfl games would be exclusively limited to games that they weren't involved in and that at yeah. no moment in time would a member like a, a player on the houston texans go we suck anyway so i'm gonna bet on the other team to score a touchdown on the opening drive shit they've got fourth and three i better give away a penalty here to make sure they get they get a first yeah, well, we get that <laughs> no i know you say you get it but you weren't acknowledging it i just think it's not that as i said I, you know I, I mean i like i like betting but i do worry in american sports in particular it's happened in in europe and it's happened in the uk already and they're having to you know try and move away from how heavily betting has been embraced in some respects. The U S is kind of like blindly steamrolling into it at the moment went from, you know, one extreme of it's completely illegal to, Hey, now just everybody can do it everywhere they want. And I do think it's not, it's sensible. Well, it's pretty regulated compared to before. No though. And I, th I mean, cause you also have to say you've got to be dumb too. Because let's imagine a scenario where I'm an NFL player, I'm stuck in my hotel room and I'm bored and I want to place a bet on the Lakers-Kings game that night. And I know that I can't. I'm not allowed to. I would just text you and say, hey, Frank, can you just put this bet on for me on your account? And as long as we do that, I'm never getting in trouble. And then, so not only are wow. you... 
<laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Highly, unless you decided to come out and say, hey, Eddie's been, you know, getting me to place bets on his behalf. Like there's no, so not only are you weeding out people who probably might, who might have an issue, you're also weeding out the dumber ones as well. <laughs> I mean, look, it's, and it's, the, the good news is it, if you're good enough, it doesn't impact your career at all. You know, Tony, who's got a suspension until the beginning of 2024, rumors are that both Arsenal and Spurs are going to try and buy him in the January transfer window. And, you know, and he, he breached the gambling regulations 230 something times uh, to get his suspension. So, you know. Well, he's got an issue, though. <laughs> yeah. Or he's smart enough to say that he has an issue. You know, like, I mean, that's the. Maybe that is that the move if if. If like you hear through the grapevine that you've got caught gambling, then the next three weeks you just place just an enormous amount of bets and be like, "No, I've got an addiction on rec- <laughs> on random things." Yeah, yeah, and and it's tough too, right? I mean, because athletes aren't different. You hear horror stories, like in the UK, it's been around for long enough, right? You do hear horror stories of these guys turning up. And, you know, someone like Paul Merson, who's super open about what he went through and how he would turn up to matches. And, uh, you know, he tells one story about like turning up with 20,000 pounds and winning and cash and not knowing what to do with it and handing it to his manager and his manager just put it in his pockets during the match. And then midway through the match, he noticed like 20 pound notes blowing down the side of the pitch and it's because they like started coming out of the manager's pockets and he wasn't really paying attention. You know, you have all these weird stories. I think as a professional athlete, I think you should have no problem basically saying, you know what, I'm just not going to, for this moment in my life, I'm just not going to bet on sports. I'm going to stay, I'm going to make sure I remove myself from all possibilities of being even falsely accused of doing something that brings my sport into disrepute. Coming from the guy who broke his sober summer proclamation in 12 hours. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not being paid millions of dollars to play a sport, you know? That's, that's, the, that's the difference. I wouldn't, if a team wants to sign me up, I won't drink a, I won't drink a drop. <laughs> you know, so that's, that wouldn't, again, that wouldn't seem to me like a huge sacrifice. So it's, it's the same, I think. You have to accept with certain jobs, there's certain things you can't do. And being a professional athlete saying, I probably can't bet on, I probably shouldn't bet at all. It's just better. It makes sense. Well, Eddie, this week I don't have trivia for you, but I do have, instead of Eddie's trivia corner, we can do Eddie's opinion corner on a what would you do scenario. So I will lay out the scenario that occurred at the track and field world championships. And I want your opinion. So uh, there's been a new rule in some of the track and field events um, where it's possible for two or more competitors to basically have the exact same outcomes. It's mostly in jumps uh, or pole vault. So pole vault is, is and high jump are the two most common because the way pole vault and high jump work is you have three attempts to make a jump. And then if you make it, you go to the next height and three times, blah, blah, blah. 
and you can have multiple people who kind of tap out at the same height, but then it will go back to how quickly you made the previous heights. So if you went through, let's say, seven successful jumps and then failed on your eighth, and two people did that, then it would go all the way back to, you know, did on your third jump, did it take you two versus one or the other? The person has the least wins. So there was a scenario in the pole vault, in the women's pole vault this year, where uh, both athletes tried and missed at 4.95 meters on three separate jumps. And they had the exact same progression leading up to that, these two women. And from there, the options were to either go to a jump off or they would have to agree to share the gold medal. They decided to share the gold medal. What would Eddie Hewitt have done in that scenario? So they both have to agree. No, no, I understand. I mean, we, you know, we've discussed this exact same scenario at the Tokyo Olympics. You, I do not. I, you, your memory is, is not very good, but this exact same thing happened at the Tokyo Olympic Games. And uh, when we were recording our podcast, we discussed that was also uh, a high jump, I believe. Yeah. And this is pole vault now. Right. But I mean, it's yeah. You know, okay. Same but, thing. And they just, they also decided to split the medal. Um, Before you answer. Yeah. What's the, what's the English game that I'm thinking of with the, like split the money, take the money where the girl played that guy really badly. Oh, um, golden balls. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. I love that clip. Um, <laughs> Well, that would be an interesting dynamic to add into it, to do like, a, like, a, uh, you know, to add that kind of game theory into, yeah. into it. So <laughs> you both have to announce what you're doing. And if, if one of you says keep and the other one says split, then that guy gets the keep, gets the gold <laughs> yeah. medal or no one gets gold. Um, if you both decide to keep it. Um, I think ultimately I would decide to just both get it because you get to call yourself an Olympic gold medalist. No one was really going to, you're not going to have to add an asterisk to that really. Right. Whenever you introduce yourself and say, I want a gold medal at, you know, these world championships or at this Olympic games, no one's going to kind of look into it too much. And anyone who says, well, did you really win the gold medal because you actually shared it? Unless they are, unless they are a gold medalist themselves, they instantly look <laughs> like an asshole. So I would probably choose to both share it, but I guess it decides whether deep down you thought you were either better or just kind of doing that bit better, which I think with the, the nature of those events might be harder to judge because you have only got to that scenario by failing. So it's not like you're both riding highs and then, hey, I've I've got momentum here. It's like I actually just failed on my last jump, so I'm not sure how well the next one will go. So I would probably split it. I, I would definitely split it. I think when you're talking about medals, then I think it's so easy to split because you can always just say, I'm a gold medalist. You yeah. never have to clarify past that. Hey, were you in the Olympics? Yeah, I won a gold medal. <laughs> oh, I'm over. Not great conversation skills, but 
<laughs> but sure, I think it come off as a little aggressive. Top five favorite gold medal moments. <laughs> like, this guy's a douche, but he did win a gold medal, I guess. <laughs> but, Maybe you don't approach it because then they look look you up and they're like, actually, asshole, you shared a gold medal. Yeah, I think you. Yeah, that information comes out. And also, I guess the other argument, right? It kind of goes, it's in line with the Olympic spirit. So to to be, even if you ended up winning, I think you'd be criticized almost for being, for deciding. And again, I guess they both have to agree, but for saying, no, I want to continue and then beating that other person. And then like, well, it's not bad sportsmanship, but is it good sportsmanship? Like, you know, this yeah. is, this is a little strange. I mean, I was trying to think of the scenario when it, when you wouldn't. And I think it would have to take a certain type of person or a certain type of rivalry where they just genuinely didn't like each other. And the one person knew that they were better than that person to, to be willing to risk it, to bump them down to silver. You think I could think of another scenario. I mean, say you're the greatest pole vaulter of all time. You just know. Okay. And then the person you're tied with is some un, relatively unknown person. And you think this guy's just had the day of his life. Like no way this continues. He set like a PB seven times over the course of this event. Like at a certain moment in time, he is due to fail. And especially if you thought for your, you know, it's like I've won three golds in a row, something crazy, you know, then that scenario you might say, all right, time to show my greatness here and like not just settle for splitting this. But yeah, I just think most people... But I think even then, most people would acknowledge like, yeah, like I could probably beat this person, but they've had a hell of a, a hell of a run here. This is impressive. Like I'll, I'll let them have part of the glory. Maybe. But then he, I maybe, I don't know, but I'm sure if you're in it and if you had that kind of greatness and you're thinking about you know, where do I stand in greatest Olympians of all time? Does this somehow impact my legacy? You know, like there's thoughts that some people, like, do you think, I'll tell you what. Here's, I, I guess, wait, 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 real quick. Does that, so say that happens. Yeah. Does you winning greaterly, more greatly impact your legacy than if you lose? Because then you look like a huge asshole if you're the one who's like, no. I want I want to challenge this person and then you lose. So it's like, oh, remember when so and so was a like was like really against it and then he lost? That looks terrible. Let me give you a scenario. Let's take Usain Bolt. And let's imagine that somehow they just record it's a dead heat identical times and they then give them exactly the same. The option is either hey, you guys can both have gold medals now or tomorrow you can rerun the 100 meters. And it's just the two of you and whoever wins. Do you think there's a scenario where Usain Bolt doesn't say, run it again? Like, yeah, but I think Usain Bolt's partly an asshole. <laughs> no, but you know, also, it's also just like greatness combined with how much better he probably, you know, what are the chances that this guy keeps up with me two days in a row? Yeah. Pretty slim. But what think, if it's like a fellow Jamaican teammate? Oh, then he's definitely running it again. <laughs> Let's. And that guy probably doesn't even turn up the next day. <laughs> I mean, the real question is, let's apply it to sports outside. Because again, the Olympic spirit kind of impacts this because it does feel like, you know, it's... Oh, a I think in no major sport would this ever happen. Let's take golf. 
because other sports it's you can't really kind of see it happening let's take golf and let's say the let's say the open or the u.s open decided hey look if it's only a two-player playoff then those two people get the choice as to do they get to be co-champions or do they play a, a, a one-hole playoff now are we keeping are we taking into account the monetary situation here you split it no matter what no so oh, oh, then you're playing the playoff well, I mean, I don't think most of the people care that much about the relatively minor difference in prize money between first and second. If you're the kind of player who's competing at those levels consistently, I don't think you're like, wait, whoa, 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 an extra $900,000. I'm, I'm playing. But you think like if, if it's, you know, I'm trying to pick players who seem like Victor Hovland. You can fanboy out over him. And uh, who else seems like a friendly John Rahm? Two very. I mean, just just to, to say, the the PGA Championship this year, the winner got three point one, second only got one point eight. So that's a pretty significant chunk of that's like a forty percent difference in prize money. But sure, but the and the reality is, the golfer is winning then. And let's take Victor Hovland and John Rahm. Okay, John Rahm in particular, definitely, as he stated when the whole live golf thing happened, doesn't need more money. So I don't think his motivation would be, wait, hold on a second, an extra 1.3 million. You know, I don't think he's too worried about that playing in. And I think even someone like Victor Hovland, like that wouldn't be your motivating. Yeah. Victor Hovland's a tough one, though, because he's that smile. You know, it, <laughs> it just, for me, I think he's going to say, let's just split it, man. Can't we all just be happy? <laughs> or is that an assassin's smile? <laughs> is that the guy who smiles at you while he shakes his hand and says, let's play the playoff? No, no way. Have a good Not round. Hovland. Have a good, you know, hope, hope the tee shot goes well. And then no, and Norway then. doesn't have assassins. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, it would be interesting to know. I mean, it's just, it is strange. You know, we accept ties and no results and, things in some sports and then don't expect don't accept them in others and you know golf in most sports it doesn't make sense like tennis you're going to have no scenario in which they are presented with the opportunity to split i mean maybe if you went into like the the wimbledon i mean they fixed that right but like when when the john isner match when they played like the 50 whatever games in the fifth set you you maybe get to a point where you said can we somehow split this but uh, you know, I don't think, um, you know, golf is the only one where you can really do a very clear comparison and imagine a scenario in which it could happen. Yeah. I, I think most golfers would go for the win though. Be because I think there are a lot of interesting personalities in golf. <laughs> you know, like there are a few out there who would definitely just want to be the winner. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Would Tiger Woods have ever accepted a draw? But Tiger Woods, you're getting again into that Usain Bolt mentality of like, I think he, he's... A, Would Sergio Garcia ever accept the draw? Sergio Garcia pre-Masters win when he didn't have a major to his name? I think he takes it. I think if there's... Oh, a that's, now that's an interesting question. What if it's like 
you're someone let's do like the phil mickelson like leading him into winning his first major what if he has that getting into the major they're tied they go into a playoff does he is he okay mentally with i I don't know what are you looking for I'm confused by the Phil Mickelson inclusion in this. Because there was a while that Phil Mickelson hadn't won a major, and no. people kind of were like... Not, not super long. Take Sergio Garcia. It was a decent chunk. Okay, well, so Let's okay, take a player who, who literally got expected to be maybe the greatest golfer to have never won a major. That was sort of okay. what, he, what he was heading towards. Like It's a very clear... All right, so Garcia is, is about to. He's tied in the PGA Championship or the Masters, whatever. Yeah. I think he takes... They go this. to a playoff. Do you think he takes the easy way out and asks for the, the split. split? Or do you think he wants to win it the real way? I think ultimately he probably wants to win it the real way because you'd know that. Yeah. I, I guess it would depend on how frequently other people had chosen to split. That might change your mind. If you were going to be the first ever split, then that pro- you probably don't want to hold that um, you know, particular record. And it might also depend on who you were splitting it with. If you're splitting it with tiger woods in his prime then that might also still go down as you had to split it and it's like did you see who i split it with though you know like that was tiger slam era tiger woods like i was the only guy who was coming close to him then so for me to just tie with him is an honor versus uh, you know you it's like it was me and ian poulter like that's we both we both just had a great tournament and we got to the end and decided you know what neither of us is ever going to be here again so we may as well just split it like that's a different that's a different look so anything else left on the sporting front or do we move on i know we we teased it about a week ago the rotten tomatoes best what is it best is it best 20 or best 25 films from the last 25 years i'm assuming it's best 25 given it's 25 25 years. yeah uh do we go down this list which i think will upset me less than the tv uh yeah i think it will but partly because i don't think you watch as much movies as you do television i actually i it's not i definitely don't well in a sense i probably watch about the same i just don't think i have tv you get invested in over to over a period of years and I'm not a big movie rewatcher. So I don't have that same emotional attachment to movies, certainly not movies that I didn't watch as a younger person. Like there's no movie from when I'm 25 that I feel such a strong bond with. So, I mean, I'm taking a look at this list and I think it's going to annoy you a decent amount, especially that I think the top three, the grouping will annoy you a little bit, but let me, let me start this way. Is there a movie you think is definitely on this list? Uh, the, the and I don't mean to say like you're going to say like Avengers, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, is there a movie that you think like is a top 25 that should definitely be on this list? Um, give me a second to think so that okay. I come up with a... Listeners, feel free to join in and yell at your, <laughs> yell at whatever you're listening to, what you think a movie should be on, a movie should be in. So I'm going to cheat slightly here. So I've, I'm okay. so I'm going to look at best picture winners from the last 25 years to try and kind of narrow it. There are not many on there. I can but, tell you that right now. Which doesn't totally surprise me. But that way I don't, because I didn't want to like forget something. So I'll throw out a few that if they weren't on it would surprise me. So going kind of in chronological order. So I'm starting from 99, right? 
I guess, yeah. Yep. So I think the sixth sense should absolutely be on there because I think it holds a kind of unique uh, place in cinematic history in terms of that didn't the surprise ending and the kind of the end of the era where that was even possible because the internet has just destroyed that. Yeah, I'll give you the surprise ending. It's not on there. <laughs> <laughs> I would expect Gladiator to be on there. Gladiator is on there. Yes, Gladiator is a little lower than I expected coming in at number 20. For a fan favorite, I would expect many people to put it, but I guess the issue is it's older, so maybe it's not in people's memory as much. Yeah. I mean, we've we had the great podcast debate, right? Is the Gladiator is Gladiator a sports movie, which <laughs> but uh keep keep in mind Gladiator 2 coming out next year, 2024. Yeah. Continuing to move along, I'll go okay. some representative from the Lord of the Rings trilogy has to be in. Yes. So Lord of the Rings, which one do you think is ranked the highest? I'll tell you all three are on this list. <laughs> okay. Already that's stupid. Um, I'll say the middle, the two towers is ranked the highest. No. The two towers ranked number 10. Okay. Lord of the Rings Fellowship ranked number seven. Return of the King, which uh, was the most critically acclaimed one, number four. Just cracking the top five. All right, just a big dumb battle scene. Um, <laughs> so if I'm going my list, I really liked the pianist. I would put the pianist in the in the top twenty five movies from the last twenty five years. The pianist is not on the list. Uh, I would put. Um, I would put Brokeback Mountain in the top 25 Ooh, movies. Brokeback Mountain. Not on that list. <laughs> Just for like cultural significance, it feels kind of weird. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm sure that's the reason it's not on the list. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Departed, I would put on the list. The Departed is on the list. Lower than I expected. Number 21. No Country for Old Men, I'd put on the list. No Country for Old Men, definitely on it. Number 18. <laughs> like the, you, the slight slip there, it sounded like you said No Country from Old Men, which would be a, <laughs> a pretty different movie. Uh, I might say I didn't love this movie, but again, for cultural significance, maybe Slumdog Millionaire. Slumdog Millionaire is not on the list. Uh, I'm guessing The Blind Side definitely not making it after recent events. <laughs> <laughs> Um, thus I think we can skip all of it. Oh, does Up make it? Up did not make it. Okay. There uh, is only two animated movies. No, one animated movie. I thought this is it. Is it one of the toy? Is it one of the Toy Stories? No. Okay. Unfortunately, that would be the only one I think should legitimately be on it. I'll say Inception is probably there. Inception. Number three. Okay. <laughs> I don't particularly like this movie either, but I would I would say the social network, people just like lose themselves over the social network. Social network, surprisingly not on the list. Mm -hmm. I thought that would definitely be on the list. Um oh man, it gets tough. Django Unchained. Django Unchained, not on the list. 
I don't know if any uh, Tarantino movies. I'll also guess. I'm not a huge fan of this movie, but it would surprise me if it's not on the list because, again, it has lots of things that people just love. So I would say I would expect The Wolf of Wall Street to be on this list. Sorry, first I wanted to go back. There is one uh, Tarantino movie on the list, not Django. Um, Wolf of Wall Street, not on the list. I thought Wolf of Wall Street would be on the list as that well. surprises me. I was surprised. So if it's a Tarantino... That, that is a crowd favorite. Tarantino movie from the last 25 years on the list. Is it Inglorious Bastards? Inglorious Bastards at number 17. Okay. Not a... I think I like that better than Django. Again, I... Django's like a little, like, it's a little too controversial for me, I think. <laughs> okay, can I go for my, this is my Eddie pick for the a movie I feel super strongly about that should absolutely be on this list, which absolutely will not be on this list. Hell or High Water. Hell or High Water, not on the list. Shocker. Uh, and... Kind of I love Hell or High Water. Yeah, great movie. Should be on the list. Um, I mean, I guess I've already named quite a few. Is Dunkirk on the list? Dunkirk not on the list. Interesting. Is La La Land on the list? Ooh, La La Land, number 23. Is it is enough to make the list. Okay. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm avoiding the easy take of just some like comic book movies here. Okay. I'll kind of wrap things up. Is 1917 on the list? No. Interesting. That movie just like disappeared. It did for people. It's never on television. I've never seen it on any network television show. Like it's, I never see it. It's Coda. On the list, no. They they really they just fuck society here on this one on this list, huh? It's your fan favorites, Eddie. I know you fans you... care about Coda. <laughs> I would have thought there were a lot of people who would have just like these get upvoted a lot just on the basis of the significance people felt that they had. Um. Okay, at this point, I would have to cheat and right. and start going to the just kind of big budget obvious winners like black panther is definitely on the list black panther not on the list whoa oh, this is a real fuck society if we're gonna have to <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna be slipping in multiple marvel movies and the black and black panther doesn't even make the list okay so end game probably number one yes no, Endgame is number five. Avengers Endgame. All right, give me number the top. Five. Give me the top five. All right, top five. Number one, The Dark Knight. To me, that's the only superhero movie that I could even, and maybe Black Panther again for the sort of cultural significance. Uh, the Dark Knight's the only one that I could possibly put on this list as being like a genuinely, legitimately good movie. Even then, I don't think it should. It's an it's a horribly overrated movie. Definitely doesn't deserve to be number one. Like, and you know, there's two things you get. We get re certain things get reinforced, and I don't mean this in terms of making fun of 
either the ways in which these people died or them dying, but like, oh, here comes a hot take. No. <laughs> Cue the TikTok camera. <laughs> oh, you're stealing from Simmons. But Heath Ledger dying propelled the Dark Knight's legacy to a just a whole different level because everyone gets to tell the story about how this playing this character character just sort of overtook him and just pushed him into an even darker place. And in the same way, I mean, right, we're about to have a statue built for Kobe Bryant. Like him dying has just made us forget all of the bad things he did in his life. It shows you just... He um, does are two tough comparisons. I'm just, you've just... I'm just... To me, the, the link was how someone dying unexpectedly young can kind of ensure the legacy of something that they were involved yeah. in. Yeah. All right, hit. Okay. Dark Knight number one. Number two, it's going to be a hot take for many people. Interstellar. Oh, fuck that. <laughs> oh my God, fuck that. <laughs> Number three, Inception. Wow. So we're going right for the Christopher Nolan trio right mm -hmm. off the bat. Number four, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. Number five, Endgame. Number six, one that can I, just, I think when Can I just say in that, in that top ahead. five? I'm okay with with maybe two of them being in the top 25. But for any of them to be in the top five, it's just outrageous. I could maybe put, like, out of those three Nolans, I think Inception is is definitely the best of those three. And I kind of, because it's got, the cinematography is amazing. And I think the idea is like an original idea. It's kind of cool. Like, it's not based off a superhero. It's not based off a book. Like, Putting that all together, I think, makes it a, a very strong candidate. I don't know. If, like, I would put The Departed above that, no doubt. And maybe that's just me because I love The Departed. But, you know, I don't know how Interstellar's in that. I, I, that just blows my mind. But, okay. Number six. This is one I thought you were going to hit when you kept saying, like, cultural significance. The Matrix came out in 99. I didn't even. Yeah, that's, that's really sneaking in. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'm fine with that. Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, number seven. The only, I think, critically acclaimed one that's really on this list are these next two. Parasite at number eight and Everything Everywhere All at Once, number nine. Yeah, okay. Two Towers, Lord of the Rings, number 10. I mean, this one. Just to, this what one, does it say about our society <laughs> that the Lord of the Rings trilogy occupies three of the top 10 spots. What is it? I think oh, three. Yeah. yeah three. What does yeah, that three, say? Right here. That 30% of the best 10 yeah. movies made in the last 25 years are from the same trilogy. Like just, it, it, it's such a damning indictment of the state of modern cinema. <laughs> that, or, well, or of the people who vote on Rotten Tomatoes. No, the people who vote with their dollars, the people who vote, just people's perception of what a good movie is. It's just like, oh my god, uh, I love this. I get to dork out on this stupid movie and get to feel special because I taught myself how to speak Elvish. You know, like this is, like this is just really bothers me. And I like the movies, and I like the Lord of the Rings as a whole, as we yeah, know from when we discuss the TV show. Like I like it, but and again, if we were to create rules like we created for the the TV shows, if you're in a in a trilogy or if you're part of a sequel, prequel, you can have one, one Matrix movie, 
one Lord of the Rings movie. Otherwise, it's stupid. Yeah, I think there's all, I'm almost positive there's only one Matrix movie. Oh, yeah, that doesn't surprise <laughs> me. But number eleven, this one, I think. What if I told you Eddie nineteen ninety eight counts? Um, if nineteen ninety eight counts, then I would choose Saving Private Ryan. Yes, exactly. Number eleven deserves it. Yeah. Nin- number 12, 1999, Fight Club. Okay. I'm fine with that being in the top 25. All right. And then we go number 13, Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> okay. And then Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Oh, there are two. Um, I was wrong. There are two um, a- animated because it's the other one is also in it. Um, Avengers Infinity War, number 15. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. That's the first one. Is number sixteen Inglorious Bastards. This is actually where it gets good once you get to seventeen. Inglorious Bastards, No Country for Old Men, Mad Max Fury Road, Gladiator, The Departed, There Will Be Blood, La La Land. This is where it gets bad again. La La Land, <laughs> Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, and Whiplash. Um. Well, I mean, I object less to any of those final four or five than I do to, you know, yeah. I mean, those are real movies. Those are creative endeavors. Like this is, it's why, as I said, it's why we're fucked. By the time we die, all we'll be watching on TV is just endless reboots of the same nine pieces of, you know, original content. Like that's all we've got because that's what's going to sell. And the morons out there are stupid enough to go and pay to watch the same movie 15 times over in the space of three years and to not only watch it, but to also then debate why this remake of this Marvel movie was better than the re- the previous remake of the other Marvel movie. Like that's all we're going to like this Spider-Man is definitely better in exactly the same Spider-Man movie that I watched six years ago. That, you know, that's, it's just where we are. Just, it's not going to get better. There is also the critics pick for the top 25, and you did actually name a decent amount that are on that one. That one differs significantly. <laughs> Good. Still not great. Paddington 2 is number 23 on that list. <laughs> I haven't watched any either of the Paddington movies. I mean, people do say that people it, love like, them. it really tugs on your <laughs> emotional heartstrings. People love those movies. But for instance, Black Panther is on that list. Yeah. And Social Network is on that list as well. You named that one as well. Yeah, that one doesn't surprise me. Again, I don't love The Social Network, but people typically do. Like, it's one of those movies that people love to talk about as being a very good movie. So, and again, it kind of covers an interesting time in our recent history and stuff. So, yeah, I don't. The top three for the critics, Mad Max Fury Road, Parasite, and Mulholland Drive. Yeah, I would... I don't get the Mad Max Fury Road love. It's a fine movie, but top 25 seems way too much. I think it's a good movie. I, I wouldn't put it number one. It's good. I put it in my top 25. From the last 25 years? Well, I don't know. Am I putting in... If, if I'm doing my top 25, is it just like movies that make Frank the most excited? Then maybe it's not. But if I'm putting in some kind of analysis of what makes a movie good i think it probably gets in my top 25 it's not making either of those lists for me 
Like, for instance, a movie I absolutely love that I don't think would be on anyone's top five is Atomic Blonde. <laughs> Ever saw that movie? It is so good. Uh, yeah, I mean, there, I get, yes, my personal list would include like The Sixth Sense. Uh, it would probably include The Green Mile. Ooh, Green Mile. I'd be honest, it'd probably include American Beauty, which I actually, it hasn't aged super well, but uh, there's a, there's a, like a hook. Is the Green Mile in the last 25? Yeah, it is. 99, yeah. It's got to be close, I was going to say. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I liked the Thin Red Line a lot too, so to me, it'd almost be a toss-up between Saving, like Saving Private Ryan only makes it because of the opening sequence. Otherwise, that, otherwise that movie could just get dumped. Like, it's just how good is the opening 15 minutes? And then after that, we get to just see a kind of relatively boring war movie. But mm, I agree to disagree on that. But it's got a couple of highlight scenes, but most of it's not too exciting. It's the opening sequence, the sniper off moment when Vin Diesel dies. And the end battle is good. I mean, the, you know, like the knife through the chest iconic movie scene but Oof. yeah i don't i don't know i i don't think saving private ryan makes my personal list but it makes my trying to be objective list how about on the critics list eddie zodiac classic david fincher did you like that movie it was okay With jake gyllenhaal it's like good Mark Ruffalo. but not top 25 so three three david finchers on the list between the two zodiac Social Network, and Fight Club. Yeah. Which one would you have to choose if you had to choose one? Probably Social Network. Like, Fight Club's a good movie, but it's been ruined by its cult status. Like, the people who... Yeah. the people who, By those people. Yeah. <laughs> the people who love Fight Club have, ironically, for a movie that embodies the rule of don't talk about Fight Club, have ruined Fight Club. Like, it's... Yeah. The, the cult status is... Fight Club and Boondock Saints. Yeah, there's... Have been ruined by those same people. <laughs> there's a few movies. Like, even a lot of Tarantino movies, for me, have been kind of ruined by people who love Tarantino movies. Like pulp. See, now I'm the opposite. I have only just recently watched the majority of Tarantino because I avoided them because the people who would tell me they're amazing are the people that I wouldn't trust their judgment. And like I had only recently seen Inglorious Bastards and Django and um, what's the other one I just watched recently for the first time? Uh, one of his other one of his early ones. But another movie that would make the list for me, and it involves an actor who you love, but it probably Little Miss Sunshine would make my list as again kind of an interesting movie. Who's the actor I love in Little Miss Sunshine? You don't love um, uh, Steve Carell? Yeah. Okay. I mean, how can you be such a huge Office fan and not? No, I, I I thought you were gonna I, I thought you were putting it at the level of like a like a Matt Damon. Oh, oh, sorry. I thought you really really loved Alan Arkin. Sorry. <laughs> That's why I was a little confused. <laughs> I was like Abigail Breyer. <laughs> it's Steve Carell. He's he's not the main character, but he's. I mean, it's a no. He's in it's it. It's a true ensemble. So. All right. Well, 
I guess with our analysis of Rotten Tomatoes, Rotten 25 Top Movies, we can uh, call it a day. All right. Thank you. See you.